Hello, and welcome back to Nomads, you and I. We like to start our podcast off with scripture hikes. And so what this is, if you're new to join us, Mark and I have been living nomadically for about three and a half years. And so we take a break in Florida every winter and in Oregon every summer. And so in between, in the fall and in the spring, we will do lots and lots of hikes. So the reason why we called this our scripture hikes is because we are going through the scriptures verse by verse, phrase by phrase, at such a pace that we can take in and really enjoy it. We're not going to necessarily look on a microscopic level, and we're not necessarily doing a flyover like you would from an airplane looking down upon a mountain. But if you were to walk up a mountain step by step, that's how we walk through the scriptures. And so this way we feel like we have time to make lots of practical applications. And so it's a deep dig, but not so deep that we're going to get bogged down by the scriptures. And so we like that parallel between that and our physical hikes. And we know that some people actually found us because we met on the road while we were nomading. And so a lot of these folks are looking for hiking tips. So just for fun to kind of start with a warm up. That's what we like to talk about at the beginning of our hike. So Mark, what hike should we talk about today that happened just this past leg of our journey? The leg from Oregon to Florida as we came through southern Colorado and New Mexico. So we headed out from Albuquerque to Grants, New Mexico, and then from there, oh, what about 45 miles down to El Moro? El Moro. Or it's also called Inscription Rock. Now, was this a tip that you got from Patrick Gaughan? Yes. Shout out to Patrick Gaughan. He yes. said, hey, you're going to see El Moro, right? I said, I guess we must. You go up and over the Continental Divide, which is kind of cool to get there, about oh, yes. seven or 8,000 feet. And there's a neat little visitor center, very clearly marked hiking trails. You go up through some beautiful rock formations to the top. You'll find some ruins up there. And then you almost find like a hidden canyon in the middle of the rock when we were up there. Mm -hmm. The ranger said there's two ways to do it. And so she said she likes to do it backwards. And so the thing that was cool about doing it backwards, Mark, I loved how it was like almost... Every few hundred feet, you were on a totally different terrain. Like for a while, you'd just kind of like be walking over a bunch of boulders. And then there'd be some times where they had almost carved steps out of rocks. So that was super cool. Like grooves in the rock too, like you were walking Mm -hmm. in the DNA of past civilizations. Yes. And so I loved the unpredictability of it. And, you know, and lots of twists and turns. And all of a sudden you need to descend for maybe 100 feet, but then you'd climb back up. And so I just loved the unpredictability of it. And every now and again, you could just really see some gorgeous views. So after you see that big valley area, what do you remember? Then you come down the other side. And of course, the view from the top is great, but you come down the other side. And the reason it's called Inscription Rock is that you will find basically three, I would say, categories of inscriptions. Mm. You will find petroglyphs from the ancient Indians. Yes, who lived up there. Then you will find the inscriptions left by what would be second generation Spanish conquistadors, not Pizarro or Cortez, but the generation right after that. About uh, what year would that be? About 1530, 1550. Okay. And then you would find people that w- were coming out to like California. Mm-hmm. Pioneers. Pioneer and- covered wagons. And mm-hmm. they all stopped there because... To this day, there is a natural spring and a continuous pool of water at the base of the rock. Like an oasis. 
And wasn't that beautiful? The birds were all swooping down and around and there were the cattails and Yes, that was the thing that really drew all of these generations of explorers and such. And there was even more modern inscriptions as well? Mm, maybe, yeah, but there were spo- not supposed to be any modern inscriptions. <laughs> who they yes, were. so stop and get your flyer, and that way you can, you can see little paragraphs of the history of who this was that signed this inscription rock so many years ago. So very, very worthwhile. Thank you, Patrick Gunn, for that travel tip and we were in between two stops and he says you're going to stop at inscription rock aren't you so if someone is going to albuquerque is it's relatively close to there is that correct i would say it would be at least an hour and a half from albuquerque but i would say it would be worth the trip yeah all right so that was our physical hike let's jump into our spiritual hike through james chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 we'll be going 1 through 13 so if you have your bible handy you might want to follow along and here's what james writes my brothers and sisters do not hold your faith in our glorious lord jesus christ with an attitude of personal favoritism for if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and is dressed in bright clothes And a poor man in dirty clothes also comes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the bright clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, did God not choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the good name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as violators. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a violator of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. As we entered this section from the previous chapter, we've noted that You know, the stress on keep yourself unspotted from the world. Yeah. And also guard your tongue and be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Here we find James immediately jumps into a problem that they apparently were having. And that is that they were seeking to combine their faith in Jesus with personal favoritism or a respect for certain individuals or where they would put too much emphasis on what a person looked like on the outside, too much emphasis on their status Mm. or their wealth. Again, all men are made in God's image, and so we should treat all people as important individuals. Mm -hmm. But they were now putting too much of an emphasis on what a person had materially. Yeah rather than when it came to things like character. To put on Christ, Galatians 3.27, and to imitate God, Ephesians 5.1, is to embody that quality of being just or fair. And favoritism, Mark, is really kind of at its root. It's using people to our own advantage, right? It is, and it's forgetting the true value 
where you're putting an emphasis simply on material earthly things mm-hmm. and other external circumstances. God doesn't act like this. God is no respecter of persons, which, mm-hmm. and we need to be grateful. Yes. <laughs> we need to be grateful that God does not evaluate us on the basis of what we like own. Also, personal favoritism is not the same thing as demonstrating respect because we're to have respect for those that are in high office, for elders, for older Christians, for our parents. Yeah. But here I think they were respecting people for superficial things like how they dressed and what they owned and how much money they had. Yeah. And I think this, so we see in verse two, for if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and is dressed in fine clothes, I mean, what we're trying to avoid here is thinking that our association with him would increase what some would call your social capital. You know, in other words, who could likely help fund maybe church projects or get you noticed. You know, what I like here is he gives a concrete example of what's going on in verse one, right? So we're not left wondering like, well, what are you talking about? The first thing to note is into your assembly that Christians assembled together, that Mm. they, they had a meeting. Yeah. They were commanded to assemble, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And as you look at that verse, there's nothing wrong with having a gold ring or dressed in fine clothes, and that's not the issue that is here. They should have noted that man, especially if he's a visitor and he's Mm -hmm. not a Christian. They should have paid attention to him, right? Right. What's wrong is that they were not paying equal attention to the person who was not dressed as nice. All right. That's both, a good point. Both individuals were valuable. Yeah. Both individuals Equally. had souls and, and they needed to find out who both of those individuals were. But I think you make a good point. It's very easy to look at the one in the fine clothes and say, I bet he could help us. Yeah. I bet he could increase our contribution. Yes. Uh, I bet he could give us context. Or exactly. Since people know he's coming here now. Yeah. He could kind of up our social status in the community as a group of people that we have him as a member. And the poor man is kind of just the opposite. Like this poor man is going to need more help than he can give, most likely. Yeah. And so I think in verse three, the key, st- the key phrase there is you pay special attention mm. when the reality is that they should have paid attention to both Equal attention. Yeah. yeah equal like attention. That. All right, so verse 3 says, And you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and you say, Sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down by my footstool. This would be a situation where the person in fine clothes would get like the best seat, you know. Or, or isn't put- that kind of embarrassing? Like when you see this pandering or the patronizing or the fawning over, it's just a little bit embarrassing. Well, someone said that the church should be the one place where this does not happen. Absolutely. Where there are not those sort of superficial social distinctions. One is escorted to the most favored place in the building. The other one is like, well, you can find a place to sit on the ground mm-hmm. over there. So verse four says, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? What are your thoughts there? Well, I think the phrase there, judge with evil motives, is that the motive would be, like you noted, you're thinking kind of selfish thoughts like, I bet this guy could really help us. Mm. You know, you're thinking on a very superficial, selfish level. The reason you're fawning over that wealthy man is it's all about you of what you think might be coming your way. Or your church, right? Right. And so I think that would be the evil motives under consideration. Yes. One translation, C-E-V, renders this, uh, quote, this is the same as saying that some people are better than others and you would be acting like a crooked judge. That kind of helped me to understand that verse a little bit better. 
Because I think, unfortunately, some would say, well, why should I bother with that poor person? He can never do anything for me. Right, right. And so it's more about, hey, here's somebody we can help. That's why we are a church. Mm-hmm. So verse five says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? It's just kind of a reminder there that there's all kinds of ways of being rich, right? You could be rich in faith. You could be rich in all kinds of ways, but being rich in faith really is the most rewarding. Yeah. Now, when the verse says that God chose the poor of this world, the text is not saying, and God excluded the rich. Oh, uh-huh. Because there were rich Christians. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. That's Mentions true. wealthy Christians. Yeah. But the thought is that God had not discriminated against them as oh, a class. Right. The gospel was open for them as well. And as a group, First Corinthians 1, 26 to 29, as a group, there were actually far more early Christians from... The poor side of town Uh than from the wealthy side of town. Yes. Um, And really the key is whether rich or poor, really the next phrase I think is what they have in common. It says, which he promised to those who love him. So a lot of poor people, you know, love Jesus. Some rich people love Jesus, whether they have riches or not. You know, that's the main thing is they love them. That's a good point because sometimes there are groups out there that almost have this idea that, if you're poor, that's an automatic ticket to heaven. Mm. And verse oh, 5 yes, makes it that. very clear that the only poor people that go to heaven are those that love God. Yeah, that's uh, a, yeah. it's not that poor people are innately more virtuous. When it says poor of this world, that's a good reminder. Hey, earthly poverty is only temporary. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a this world problem. Yep. While at the same time, a poor man can be rich in spiritual things. Mm -hmm. That is rich in faith. Yeah. All right. So verse six says, but you have dishonored the poor man. So this is not a hypothetical situation. It looks like this is something they actually had done. Yeah. And the thing is too, that, I mean, this poor man would have appreciated their kindness even more than the one who had been fawned over. You know what I mean? A lot of people are fawning over the rich guy, probably everywhere he goes, but this poor man would have really appreciated that kindness that much more. You make a good point. What might impress someone of wealth, if they do come, when they do come to your service, may be the fact that they treat you treat them like everybody else. <laughs> I, th- I think a lot of people who are wealthy are sick and tired of being catered to. Yeah. Can you just treat me as a normal person? Do you love me for me or what I have? Yeah. Maybe I'll take this out. Maybe I'll leave it in. I think we saw that, Mark, when we used to mentor young college-age girls, and one of them brought home a drummer band called Parade of Lights, and they had opened for 21 Pilots. So this guy is a famous guy, and when he came over, I didn't ask him about his band. <laughs> you know, it was more like, we're only going to talk about spiritual things here, and I, he even slept on the couch. And the girls got the bedrooms and he slept on the couch with the cat, you know, in the family room. And so you could see him grinning from ear to ear over that too, though, because I think, yeah, you're right. I don't, he probably wasn't rich, but celebrity and all of that. I think, you know, that's like a fresh thing to just like be treated as a normal guy, you know, put the girls first. There are certain celebrities, certainly the smart ones that really enjoy at times where no one recognizes them because I'm just like everybody else here. Yes. Then it says, is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Any thoughts? 
Well, along with verse 7, do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? Okay. Now, that's not true of every rich person in the first century. Right. But I think he's saying as a class, the rich tended to not be their friends, but rather the enemies mm. of God's people mm-hmm. is that. Those were the people that if you were in debt, man, they wanted every dime they could get out of you. You know, they were on your case. Now, I think there's, to me, an application here would be, again, James is not saying, hey, you don't want to convert the rich. You don't want to try to have a Bible study with them. He's not saying that. But I think what he's saying is this. Most of the celebrities and famous people out there are the people advocating godless ideas. Right, right. And I think that's kind of the, that as a group, these are the people that are typically opposing the spread of the gospel and saying very unflattering things about Jesus. Right. And I was thinking also that by dishonoring this poor man, like they knew firsthand what it felt like to be treated that way, you know, by the persecution mm-hmm. of these people, like, well, blaspheming the fair name by which they were called and at other times, you know, being the ones that oppress them. And so if this poor man had been oppressed, you know, they should know firsthand what it feels like to be treated that way and could treat him otherwise instead of, you know, kind of oppressing him when he comes into the assembly as well, you know, go, go sit down by my feet kind of thing. So, yeah, that's a good observation is that they had a lot in common with the poor man. Pretty much the world considered them, that is Christians, as nobody. And the fair name that is being blasphemed here must be the name Christian. That's what they were called, 1 Peter chapter 4 and in verse 16. And again, as I noted, this verse should really hit home with us, for we often tend to idolize actors, musicians, sports heroes, political giants, and so on. Yeah. And yet it's typically that group of people that ridicule Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yep. Make fun of Christianity and disrespect all things related to God many times. So verse eight says, if however you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. All right. You know, some say that maybe James is responding to an argument that these Christians are trying to put forward. That is, they're trying to defend their actions towards the rich by saying, but we're only practicing love, Mm. love of our neighbor. And James may anticipate that some of the readers are trying to justify their personal favoritism. That is the command that says we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I like how he says, if, however, uh-huh. <laughs> if you really are fulfilling the royal law, which is the command to love our neighbor as ourselves. Yeah. And royal would mean this is the law of or it belongs to the king. Oh, okay. The principal chief law. Uh-huh. Which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Which picks up every other law that in any way, shape, or form has to do with how you treat somebody else, whether negatively or positively. Mark, I've heard that even in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant is really about loving God and loving people, and all the variety of commandments that are in it relate to those two principles? Absolutely. So, well, the command not to murder, that's showing love for your neighbor. The command not commit adultery, yes, that's showing respect and love for your neighbor and your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's marriage, Mm -hmm. what will happen to your neighbor's kids. Mm -hmm. 
So the fact that he says you are doing well really shows, Mark, that people that say that humans are incapable of pleasing God, I mean, that is not true. You know, that needs to be challenged for sure. It does. Why would God give a law if man can't keep it, but if God is the one who created man in the first place? Mm -hmm. If God is our creator, then whatever laws are there that apply to us, God says, now you can do that because I'm the one who created you. I, I, I know you more and better than you know yourselves. And I, maybe the thought here in this verse is, if you actually are loving as your, your neighbor as yourself, if you actually are doing that, you're doing well. Verse 9 says, okay, but if you're showing partiality, which is what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're in sin. And the very law maybe you're appealing to actually condemns you. Mm -hmm. The thing that's so beautiful about doing well in the sight of God, Mark, is that you're doing your part to prevent and solve basically every social problem that exists on the planet Earth. You know, people don't really think much about how every single thing you do, whenever we choose the high road, we are helping everybody. The ripple effects of doing the right thing never just benefit you. They benefit everyone else. Yeah, and you really cannot measure that. You know, Mark, one way I think that we can apply some of these principles that we've learned so far in this chapter about not showing partiality and favoritism and all that is that when, say, it's going to be the closing prayer and there's going to be some socializing before you get in your car and go home, really thinking about who needs you the most that morning. You know, you raise your eyes. It's not not necessarily who's the funniest person to talk to. Finding out how your bestie is, even though you were out late together the night before. You know, just like the people that are doing really, really well. Think about first visitors, obviously. There's visitors that have, some of them have really gathered a lot of courage in order to come into the assembly. And so who is there that you don't know, that you've not met? You know, the lonely or the troubled, all of these. Let's think about conversing and really tending to these. I guess that's one way of being poor, you know, people that are poor in all kinds of ways. We're not always going to see um, someone coming into our assembly that looks super down and out. When we do, we need to tend to them. But sometimes, hey, if it's just the regular crowd, who's really hurting this week? Who looks like they need a friend? Yes. Who needs encouragement? And who's not talking to anybody right now? Who's alone and sitting and not talking to anyone? Yep, because there are people like that that simply get kind of left out. Yeah. Now, if you're like that, if you're one of those people like, no one talks to me. Here's the thing on you. You got to go and talk to somebody. Yeah. You got to make that first move. Yes. And one thing that I find kind of works, like if I'm in between a bunch of conversations, sometimes if there's a circle of girls, say, or maybe two, three girls, and they don't look like, if girls are huddled together, that means, you know, don't interrupt kind of thing. But um, just to kind of stand a little bit outside the circle, smile a little bit, make a little eye contact, and usually they'll kind of draw you in, you know? Mm -hmm. So... That's one thing that you can do. But yeah, just kind of taking it upon yourself to initiate conversations. You know, you do not have to be the one sitting alone. That's for sure. So the verse goes on then to say, but if you show partiality, you are committing a sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. What are your thoughts? Well, James doesn't mince any words, does he? I mean, this is sin. It's not just some small misdeed. It's not some trifling fault. I love how the clarity here, their fawning over the rich did not proceed from the motive of love. And I think they were trying to argue Mm. that it did, but rather proceeded from ulterior motives, such as greed or loving the praise of men, 
The truth of the matter is they love the rich man's rings, fame, status, and fortune more than they loved him as a person, or you might say more than they loved his soul. So Mark, I was thinking about this idea of that we're not to show partiality. And so I was thinking about how the Apostle John is called the disciple whom Jesus loved, but yet Jesus we know was without sin. So it seems to me that this kind of partiality is not what the scripture is addressing here, but rather it's just as Abraham was the friend uh, called the friend of God. You know, that was a special designation for Abraham in James 2.23. And yet God is also impartial. What I've concluded on that as I've studied it is that it is godly to, like Romans 12.10 says, to prefer one another, for example. You know, you're partial to your brethren, that kind of thing, according to one's good character. But I think what we're talking about here is not for evil motives. Yeah, I think that's a good point. That is, it's okay to have a best friend, okay. or it's okay to love your wife more than your next door neighbor. That's not partiality. That's in terms not partiality. Of that's this not kind. The, yeah, yeah, that's not the this time of partiality. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good observation. All right. So verse ten says, "For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all." That's a surprise, Mark. It is, but if you go through a red light, okay, yeah. and they pull you over. You can't say, okay, but I paid my taxes. <laughs> yes. I kept that law. That's not the conversation we're having right now. Yeah. yeah. And he's going to make a really good argument, like in verse 11, I think, that, you know, so you have these laws like don't commit adultery and don't murder. And it's like, okay, so you, you don't commit adultery, but you do murder. But that means that you violated the law nonetheless. You're not any less a transgressor of the law. Okay. So every law of God is important, and we can't defend ourselves when we sin by immediately pointing to the laws that we're keeping. Gotcha. Well, and it also shows, Mark, if we stumble in one point and become guilty of all, it really does show how we are altogether dependent on the grace and mercy of God contained only in the blood of Christ to atone and allow God to remember our sins no more when we repent. Yeah, that word stumbles, in the context, I think the word stumbles there is the idea, I'm talking like where you guys are showing partiality, you're clearly in the wrong here, you know? Mm -hmm. Because it's easy to read that and say, well, how am I ever going to make it there? Because, you know, nobody's perfect. Well, that, no, no, we're talking about people that were clearly doing things that were evil. Mm -hmm. So this church may have been doing many, many things that were honoring him and were in obedience to him, but they're stumbling in this area of showing partiality to try to benefit themselves. And so this is something that needed to be repented of, even though they may have been doing well in the other aspects of their Christianity. Yeah, it's easy to excuse our sins by pointing to like, but over here, I'm doing pretty good. You know, well, I'm doing that. I'm doing the work over here. And God says, okay, but that doesn't make up for this other area where you are clearly violating mm -hmm. my law. A lot of times when the Bible calls us on things, we become defensive and try to retreat into where we're doing well mm -hmm. instead of facing up to where we're not doing so well. Yeah. Well, the other thing I think, Mark, we can fall into is the parts of Christianity that we enjoy and that come natural to us to do like quadruple to really excel in those areas and think that that compensates for, you know, a porn addiction, let's say, or a, you know what I mean, where, you know, maybe you've got a roving eye and or maybe you're envious of another sister in Christ, you know, all kinds of 
things that really need to be dealt with. And there's no amount of teaching the children's class or whatever, you know, that's going to compensate for that, that we need to deal with what remains of wickedness. Yeah, that would be James 1 verse 21. And this would be one of the things, at least in their lives, that remains. But notice they can correct it. This is not a hopeless situation. Absolutely. So verse 12 says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. So speak and so act is the same thing as be a doer of the word. Mm, right. Yes, it reminds me of Matthew twelve thirty six and 37 that says, But I tell you that men will give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. So good. we need to speak and act, right? Yeah, it's a really good reminder here. We will be judged by the law of liberty, is that we will be judged by the word of God. Mm-hmm. Why is it called the law of liberty, Mark? Well, I think for all sorts of reasons. Certainly the gospel frees us from sin and guilt, mm-hmm. superstition, uh, the enslavement to human opinion. How about in this context? Isn't personal favoritism a really big problem? Always has been, oh, yeah. right? yes. It starts in like junior high school. It's well, it, very, it, it's very much human nature. Well, it's almost as if you don't get out of junior high school. It's it like is. you're still in junior high yes, school. Yes, yes. So verse 13 says, for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There are a lot of passages that have the same sort of thrust. That is, if you're not being merciful to people, well, why should God be merciful to you? Mm -hmm. Yes. Treat others the way that you want God to treat you. So what greater motivation really could there be to show mercy than than that reminder that we will desperately need mercy from God on Judgment Day? That's for sure. Every single one of us. All of us could say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Every single one of us. Right. We need to make sure as we close this chapter, James is not teaching that being merciful is going to cover my habitual rebellion. That is, well, God's not going to judge me because I'm just really nice to everybody. (laughs) I am so glad you made that point. Yes. Yes, that it's not like, oh, if I go around and say like, listen, we're all human. You just Mm -hmm. keep doing your thing and you just, you know, you be you. And no, you're excusing and making people comfortable in their self-destruction is not how you obtain the favor of God. Yeah, so the very people here that are told that mercy triumphs over judgment are the same people told, be a doer of the word. Yep, yep. All right, great place to stop here. And so we will pick up where we left off in verse 14 of James chapter 2. And thank you for joining us for this scripture hike. God bless.